This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The Auto Pacific Vehicle Satisfaction Awards are in, and we'll tell you which car is America's most satisfying. And Ferrari is back on track financially, and we'll have details on that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Got a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Red. With me is Chris Teague. We're usually across the country from each other, but we're actually across the desk from each other in Palo Alto, California. And uh, it's great to see his smiling face. He's almost smiling here. We're happy to be joining you on the Sports Map Radio Network. So welcome to America on the Road, and uh, we hope you make it a weekly habit just like we do. And Chris, it's great to be broadcasting with you in the same room. I agree. And, you know, I can't say enough about the weather here. I always love hearing your stories about it, but now I get to experience it. No humidity, bright sunshine. Can't beat it. Chris is based in Maine. I am based in Southern California. I'm in Central California now. Or I, some people would call this Northern California. I don't quite call it that. But uh, in any case, uh, he is enjoying the California weather, the sunny California weather. Chris, Chris tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Well, Jack, as we talked about last time, I'm from Tennessee originally. I moved to Maine uh, about 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago now, and met my wife and uh, have a couple of great children. I've been reviewing vehicles and talking about cars and technology for five or six years now, and I work for Forbes and Driving Today, uh, J.D. Power, uh, Kelly Blue Book, and others. So uh, really happy to be a part of the show and happy to have everybody along for the ride. Well, we love having you on the show, Chris, and I've been doing this show for a long, long time. I've been around this business for... uh, well, quite a while. Let's put it that way. Uh, right now, I'm president of the Motor Press Guild, which is the largest organization of auto journalists in the country. I'm vice president of the North American Car of the Year jury, so that's fun to do. And back in the past, I was editor of Motor Trend for a while. Then I was uh, executive editorial director at Kelly Blue Book. So I've been reviewing cars for a really long time. And again, doing this radio show for about 25 years, so uh, excited about that. And we're excited to have everybody along for the ride with us, too. Our our special guest today is Randy Dale. He is a Nissan product planner, and he'll be telling us all about the brand-new Nissan Frontier pickup truck. In the road test segment, Chris, tell us what you'll be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the 2021 Toyota Avalon. In fact, there's more to that story than meets the eye. I will be giving my review of the Ford Mustang GT. So stay with us for that and uh, join us right back here for automotive news when we come back. Thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Red back with you. And uh, we're still enjoying, uh, so far, <laughs> broadcasting out of the same room. Uh, which we rarely do because we uh, live across the country from one another. But it is news time, and there's a lot of interesting news going on, Uh, heaven knows. And uh, we teased the fact that we would tell you about the most satisfying vehicles out there. So let's talk a bit about the Auto Pacific Awards, their 2021 Vehicle Satisfaction Award. They survey 89,000 new car and light truck owners, and they've been doing this for 25 years, about as long as we've been doing America on the Road. And this, we, uh, this year's winners are across 12 manufacturers and 14 different brands. Interesting 
car companies that gathered the most uh, satisfying vehicles, aren't there? I agree. And, you know, it, it's funny to look at the list of vehicles that consumers say that they love versus the, the list of vehicles that auto reviewers and journalists say that they love. So uh, it's kind of a divide in some spaces, but some of these are actually, you know, pretty obvious and, and things that I would ab absolutely agree with. Right. Well, Nissan Motor Company and General Motors have five VSA awards each. So that's interesting. I don't know that we would immediately believe that that were the case, but uh, we're not the consumers out there being asked about it. And uh, then Stellantis, of course, the uh, the parent company of Chrysler, Jeep, and Ram uh, have three VSA awards, and then uh, others are out there. The top premium brand is what, Chris? Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln. Okay, <laughs> we're all uh, we're all okay with it. And I think what what one has to keep in mind here is. These are awards given by uh, people, or they derive the awards, by t asking people how they like their vehicles. And so, obviously, Lincoln owners really like their vehicles. Now, whether they would really like other vehicles <laughs> if they had another vehicle or, or what, they really like their vehicles. And on the mainstream side, GMC, which is kind of a premium brand, not necessarily even mainstream, uh, is the top brand. Uh, your thoughts on that i i you know it's interesting to talk about it because lincoln if you drive a lincoln back to back like a navigator back to back with an escalade there's there's kind of a personality difference there obviously a personality difference but uh the lincoln brand is, is very much its own thing and I, I enjoy what they're doing so uh good for them and gmc being the the premium sort of brand to chevrolet uh, with the Sierra pickup truck and some of their SUVs. Uh, I can absolutely see it. They're 2021 models, uh, but the refreshed full-size SUVs, some of the, the features they've added to the pickup trucks. So uh, not a big surprise there. What is surprising to me, or at least entertaining, is that the most satisfying truck or SUV is the Mercedes-Benz G-Class. That is uh, entertaining, but I think even more entertaining than that, my friend, is the fact that the Toyota Avalon is the top scoring vehicle along with the Mazda Miata. And we have other news about, about the Toyota Avalon, don't we? We do, the news came down uh, very recently. I think today, in fact, that Toyota will be discontinuing the Avalon after the 2022 model year. So it was the top scoring vehicle, but that's not enough to save it, <laughs> which shows again, the people who own Avalons are enthusiastic about them, but there might not be enough of them to sustain a, a vehicle in the marketplace. That's true. And Toyota says that their sales of the Avalon peaked in the year 2000. That's just six years after they introduced the car and quite a long time ago. So uh, I believe the Dodge Challenger is the segment leader. Is that correct? Yep, I think that is absolutely correct. And uh, we'll see what happens when, <laughs> when, that, uh, when that goes onward and, and outward. Uh, let's name some of the vehicles that are most satisfying. This again, according to Auto Pacific and their list of the most satisfying vehicles that are satisfying their owners. The mainstream compact car, big segment still, is the Nissan Sentra. Uh, Full-size pickup truck, the Ram 1500. Large SUV. We've talked about large SUVs a lot on this show. I don't know that either you nor I would, uh, or I would choose the Nissan Armada as the top one. What's your take? Now, we talked about the Armada just, what, four or five months ago maybe, uh, and we liked it, but... Uh, there's so many great options. We talk about GMC, the newly refreshed uh, full-size SUVs from GMC and Chevrolet are great. So uh, that's a surprise, although the Armada is not bad at all. Absolutely. It's a nice vehicle. I just think uh, the newer GM products are uh, outdo it. Uh, another vehicle on the list, uh, midsize SUV, 
uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. Not a bad choice, I think, but again. No, it'll be interesting to see where this lands for 2022 after the refresh takes hold and, and people have a, a taste of the new product. Right. You know, we just had the new product in my driveway uh, last week, and we will be talking about that pretty soon. But uh, I certainly like the Jeep, the new Jeep Grand Cherokee L, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Grand Cherokee, uh, the new gen Grand Cherokee, which is very much like the Grand Cherokee L, is, is like uh, when it hits the market. Uh, midsize crossover SUV is the Nissan Rogue. Again, a good choice in the segment, but not necessarily what we would, I would say, is the number one choice. Uh, no, again, really enjoyed my time with the Rogue, but there are so many other great choices in the segment that that's, it's tough to boil that one to the top, at least for me. Right. And then we talked about uh, minivan recently on the show, and uh, Chris Teague, of course, is a special fan of minivans, not to mention the uh, Toyota Venza. But... Um, the minivan is, well, you, you do the honors. You're Mr. Minivan. <laughs> the minivan is the Chrysler Pacifica. And Jack, I actually agree with this one, uh, at least prior to the Kia Carnival and everything else. I think the Pacifica is a great vehicle. It's super comfortable, uh, especially if we're talking about the hybrid powertrain that they've included there. So um, I'll buy that one. Yeah, I get that. Uh, the, the Toyota Sienna now also has hybrid powertrain. And if memory serves, it's hybrid only, yes, right? Yes, hybrid across the board. So I like that vehicle a lot. But uh, the Chrysler Pacifica certainly is a great minivan. And then we've been uh, enamored of the uh, Kia Carnival recently, too. So uh, that shows where we are. We're both family guys, of course. And so we, uh, in some ways, I guess we kind of dig the minivan. I, I'm a little surprised by that but because... Uh, the next story I'm going to talk about is uh, something far different. It is Ferrari. And Ferrari has surged back uh, in growth. Uh, I don't think the COVID-19 uh, pandemic did, <laughs> did a lot for uh, that super luxury uh, brand, uh, super luxury sporty brand. Uh, but it has uh, rebounded very, very significantly. Uh, its current profit uh, for the uh, second quarter it's $245 million, so you and I would take that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it has a good, outlook, uh, good outlook going forward. It's going to have a new CEO. So they've <laughs> done really well, and uh, they're changing CEOs. I think they had an interim CEO uh, who is uh, bowing out in favor of Benedetto Vigna who is an Italian executive. It sounds like an Italian executive, doesn't it? I would assume so, but this might be a classic case, and I'm, I'm guessing here, but this might be a classic case of win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Ferrari is, has done better on the grid in Formula One this year. Not perfectly, but a lot better. Uh, maybe driving some excitement there, but people who can afford to buy Ferraris were not hit as hard last year as the rest of us, or some of us were, so... Uh, that's not a super surprise. Yeah, I think what happens with a brand like Ferrari, obviously if you're going to buy a Ferrari, you're not worried about recessions too much. But what you are worried about is the perception of buying a luxury car while other people are suffering through a recession or, or something like a pandemic, which is even worse than a recession, right? So it's just not the time to indulge yourself. And I think that's probably the reason that Ferrari didn't do all that great during the pandemic. Not so much that the people can't afford it, but more the people just, this isn't the time to do that. That makes sense, yep. Yeah. And we see that a lot. Uh, so uh, that is, do you have an, uh, a piece of automotive news for us uh, as we leave the segment? No, you don't. Okay. Well, maybe I'll figure out something. I oh, I, I had one more piece too. 
I can fiddle with this, so don't worry about oh, that. Oh, sorry. I will uh, talk about this. Uh, and here's a, a bit of news as we're going out of the segment. GM is going to offer s new Super Cruise capabilities, and they're going to do it on six vehicles uh, in, uh, for 2022, which kind of surprised me, that number uh, of vehicles that's, uh, that will have Super Cruise. Of course, this is their play toward autonomous operation, um, and it's going to be on uh, multiple vehicles, and they're going to do more things. Super Cruise will do more things. It will help you trailer. It will do automatic lane changing. And uh, the navigation display will be enhanced. That's good. I'd, maybe it's looking at its own <laughs> navigation display. It's, it becomes kind of uh, more a video game for you, right? Yeah, well, the Escalade that we that I drove a few weeks or a few months ago now um, did have some of that built into the gauge cluster. It's an augmented uh, virtual, not virtual reality, but augmented navigation in the gauge cluster. But it's really interesting. I love this this trailering feature that they've got because, uh, you know, that's one of the things that you're driving on long haul trips. Uh, it's very fatiguing to, to tow and to deal with the, the stresses of worrying about the trailer. And that's just an extra, well, a bit of a load off of your mind. So I really like that. Yes, exactly. It's a load on your car, but a load off your mind. So that is all good. And uh, that's coming up. And there will be even more vehicles, 22 vehicles that will have Super Cruise by 2023. I can't wait to see it. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be taking a look at the Toyota Avalon and waving a fond goodbye to the Toyota Avalon. And I will give my review of the Ford Mustang GT. So stay with us for that. And thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jack and Red with you. And it is road test time. And we have, I think, a, an interesting mix of vehicles here, including a vehicle that uh, we're going to say adios to. And that is the Toyota Avalon. Tell us a bit about it uh, while people can still buy it, Chris. Yeah, it's a little sad for me because I'm an Avalon fan, as you mentioned, also a Venza fan, so maybe just a Toyota fan for, for many, for all <laughs> intents and purposes. But and a really dull car fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I tested the 2021 uh, Toyota Avalon Limited. This is with all-wheel drive. We tend to get all-wheel drive vehicles in New England when we test them, uh, when they are available with them. Uh, the price here lands just a hair under $44,500. This car has got a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine uh, paired with an eight-speed automatic transmission, 205 horsepower, 185 pound-feet of torque. And you may have noticed if you've seen an Avalon recently that they have become quite a bit more aggressive. In fact, the Toyota Camry and the Avalon uh, have become more aggressive-looking and sportier-looking overall. But this car is still very much a large family cruiser. Uh, it's very uh, docile and calm and comfortable. Uh, it's not quick, so let's you know go ahead and get that out of the way. But uh, it's a little bit more than than about that. So uh, we always talk about how tall I am on this show, but at six feet tall in the front seat of this car, I felt like I could stretch out back and have uh, many many people behind me in the back seat. And I don't know how you feel about maybe hundreds. Who maybe. knows? <laughs> it's uh, hard to know. I'll just say you know, Jack. We we talk about cars and trucks a lot, but the full-size sedan is kind of a dying breed, so uh, I'm still very much a fan of that segment. What do you think? I am a fan of sedans. Trucks were for trucks. They're for trucking for uh, commercial use and, and that kind of thing. There were some kind of cool things, too. I, I loved International Scouts when I was a kid. I don't know if you rem remember that vehicle at all, but uh, kind of a 
almost a farming vehicle. In, I really in, wanted one when I was in high school. In some ways. But uh, we digress. I think uh, the fact that Avalon is going away is not a reflection on the car so much as the segment. It's a really good car. In fact, it's gotten to be so much better. It, it's really uh, at its uh, height right now. And I think it's a really good car. It's kind of a shame that we're going to say goodbye. I agree. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this car a, a long time ago on the show. And I think I said then this is a Lexus in all but name. It's very much a refined vehicle. The cabin materials are soft touch and they're gorgeous to look at. Uh, there are some plastics here and there. But again, this is a very premium feeling vehicle. It's got 18 inch super chrome alloy wheels, real wood interior trim. I mean, how often do you see real wood interior trim in a, in a Toyota? But perforated leather seats with heated and heating and ventilation. 14-speaker uh, JBL sound system, and a 9-inch touchscreen that runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. And one of the things that I really like that Toyota has done, uh, and we've talked about this too, is that some of their infotainment systems in the past have been a little difficult to use. There's too many touches to get to the feature or the function that you want to find. Uh, and they've done away with some of those extra touches. It's still not as smooth as like a Ford Sync or uh, Chrysler Uconnect, but it's light years away from where it was even just a couple of years ago. Um, and then, you know, Apple CarPlay is a great way to, to bring in uh, a familiar interface to the car. And one thing that I also love about this, and this is a family thing for me, is that the safety features in these cars, they come standard with Toyota Safety Sense. So you've got lane departure alert, uh, alerts, uh, road departure mitigation, a whole host of other features. And the limited trim steps up and it's got uh, LED headlights with adaptive cornering lights and, and things that really improve the visibility of the car. And so on the road, this is, you know, in Maine, I always love to joke in the articles that I write about how rough the roads are after winter. Uh, it seems that this year they've just remained that way. So we're still riding on them in summer. Uh, and this car just eats it up. It's just willing to, to take the miles and keep chugging. So um, all around, you know, I think that it's a I won't say it's a shame because it's a segment. We've talked about the way that it, things are going, but um, I'll, be, I'll be sad to see it go. Yeah, it really, uh, well, I will say it's a shame. It is a shame to see the, because I think they finally got it right. You know, it wasn't always right. <laughs> when it was kind of a stretch Camry before, you know, when it, it started and wasn't all that dynamically good, I think it is so much better now. And uh, the fact that it shares the platform with the Lexus ES has made it that much better. So I really like the Avalon. Uh, I don't know if I like the idea of driving an Avalon, <laughs> but I sure like the vehicle itself. Uh, the hardware is really good. And I've got to believe, even in this area when and period of time when there's such a car shortage, an Avalon is probably a pretty good buy. I agree. Maybe we should start a petition to, to get them to stick around for a little while longer. Yeah. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, <laughs> probably nowhere. Uh, yeah, exactly nowhere. <laughs> well, I was driving a vehicle that has a, a much longer history than the Toyota Avalon, and that is the Ford Mustang. I was driving the GT version of the Mustang. And, of course, the Mustang invented the pony car segment, I think, before you were born, Chris, but uh, I was around uh, when it happened. It was very, very cool. Well, of course, the Mustang invented the pony car segment, uh, the small, sporty car segment in, in America, and took the nation by storm. And then it's had its ups and downs, and it's 50 years have passed, <laughs> and more, and uh, kind of amazing to me because my lifespan has <laughs> kind of paralleled that of the uh, Mustang. But, uh, and I guess I've had my ups and downs too. But um, it's survived and thrived, and it's continuing to thrive. I mean, this is a, a, one of the few cars out there that still sells in great numbers and is very profitable for its manufacturer. 
and they keep adding models and keep upgrading and doing that kind of stuff. And certainly we have seen that with the Mustang uh, GT. Of course, we also have seen the uh, Mustang go electric with, with that particular vehicle. So we'll see those uh, running around. But that has kind of n- almost nothing to do with <laughs> what we're talking about here, which is uh, the original pony car uh, a la 2021. They added the Mach 1 submodel for 2021, but I still think the GT is probably the better buy or the best buy among all the, uh, the Mustangs out there. And the reason being is you get a very powerful V8 engine, certainly the basis of Mustang, and the things that go with it. You can get larger brake rotors. You can get more performance uh, equipment. You can get wide 18-inch tires, you know, the whole nine yards. It's nice that they put them on 18-inch wheels, too, because <laughs> if you're going to have 18-inch tires, you better have 18-inch wheels. It's not as expensive as uh, the Mach 1, and it's frankly, it's not as sophisticated. But for most of us uh, who just want a little fun with the car, I think it's really a, a cost-effective solution. It has a base price of $37,315. And uh, just by way of comparison, the Mach 1 has a base price of $52,915. So you can see why I'm uh, kind of enthusiastic about the value of the uh, Mustang GT. I'm actually quite enthusiastic about the value of the Mach 1 as well. I think for that kind of money, it provides one heck of a lot of a performance. But uh, that's not the basis of uh, this particular review. Uh, We're looking at the Mustang GT. 460 horsepower from its 5-liter V8, which is plenty. Uh, In comparison, the Mach 1 has 480 horsepower. I defy one to feel the difference. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you can. There are some differences in terms of transmissions and that kind of stuff, but if you get the 10-speed transmission uh, in the GT, you're going to have a feel that's very much like the Mach 1. So that is all to the good, and there's uh, there's plenty of power there. And, of course, these are rear-drive platforms, and they revel in it. Uh, what they don't revel in is fuel economy. <laughs> <laughs> With the manual transmission, it offers a stellar 15 miles per gallon in the city and 24 miles per gallon on the highway. If you put in the 10-speed automatic, the numbers actually go up. That's what we're finding with automatics. I'm uh, going on and on about this, but <laughs> what's your take on the Mustang GT? Well, I would say that I agree totally with you on the value statement. I think that they've priced it right. and you know They sell enough of them that they don't have to charge an arm and a leg to get it, but the cars are solid. They've got the chassis tuning down to where it handles well. Uh, it's a refined car on the highway. You could drive one all day and it, it stays quiet. It's comfortable. The aftermarket support is tremendous for these cars. So if you want to do a track day, you could take your car to the track. As you said, throw some larger brakes and some sticky tires on and then take it home and park it in the garage and drive the kids to school on Monday. Uh, and you've got plenty of power to do whatever you want. And the styling changes, you know, I was a little bit Wash with Mustang styling in the early 2000s and mid 2010s, but I think they've got it right. It's a really sharp looking car too. So, um, you know, do you want or need the Mach 1? Sure. I mean, why not? More power, more everything is better. Uh, but the, the GT is great. The 5 liter is a great engine. And, and for most people, that's more than enough. Right. We should talk a bit about the interior. And I think that one of the beauties of the Mustang is you can the interior is, um, goes very well with the, the power. that uh, They go hand in hand. As you add more power and expense and all that stuff, you get a nicer interior. It's just cooler interiors. They're also very performance-oriented, which I guess kind of makes sense. Uh, but uh, I, I think they're a comfortable interior for two, for any more than two. Uh, the, the people <laughs> in the back seat, well, 
they're not having a great time. Well, that's any sports car, really. But yeah, there there are seats, but they might just be decoration. Right. Yeah. Great for grocery bags. Um, I think good infotainment system as well. Uh, it has the Sync 3 system uh, with an 8-inch uh, capacitive touchscreen, 9 speaker audio, which is good, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, but not wireless. So boo-hoo about that, I guess. Uh, I guess we're how quickly we begin to feel <laughs> that every car should have wireless. I actually prefer wired, but those are that's another conversation. I do, too, uh, because I don't have a phone that uh, <laughs> will wirelessly charge. Oh. So, I, you know, I like plugging in and charging as I'm doing all the other stuff with it. Uh, I have somewhat of an ancient Apple phone, iPhone. If indeed one can have something like that. I think it might have been found in a pyramid. <laughs> so that's good. But uh, the obvious competition out there is the Chevy Camaro. I think in a lot of ways the Mustang, and I'm a Chevy guy at heart, but I think in many ways the Mustang outdoes the Camaro these days. I wonder what your take on that is. I agree with that also. You know, the Mustang, it's a better outward visibility. I think the cabin is a little bit nicer. Even, you know, in all trims, it's more comfortable. The styling we talked about earlier and, you know, the powertrains. Yes, you can buy a very powerful Camaro, but the value that you get from the Mustang or from the Mustang can't be beat. So the Chevy is, is a good car, especially in some of its forms. But I think the, the Mustang uh, edges it in many ways. I have to agree. And uh, when we come back, we will be doing an interview with Randy Dale who will tell us all about the all-new, and you don't say that very often, the all-new Nissan Frontier pickup truck. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And we thank you so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you, and we are on location somewhere in uh, the Wasatch Mountains in uh, Utah. And we're very excited about that. We're driving the all-new Nissan Frontier pickup truck. And we're really excited about that because it isn't every day, <laughs> far from it, uh, that you see a brand new Nissan Frontier pickup truck. And with me is an absolute expert on it. I can't think of anybody who's more expert on it than Randy Dale, who is the uh, senior manager of product planning for Nissan on, on this pickup truck and on others. Thanks so much for being with us, Randy, number one. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for having me. And we are in the, <laughs> I should identify where we are, we are literally in a brand new Frontier pickup truck. And uh, give us a little bit of, of background on this. I, you know, I say um, almost facetiously, we don't see one of these every day, and we really don't. It's been a long time since we've had an all-new uh, Frontier pickup, hasn't it? It has been, but uh, there's good reasons for all of this. Let, let's start at the very beginning, because I, I, I don't know if everybody realizes this. 62 years ago, Nissan introduced the first compact truck in the United States. We were the first in the 220 series of the pickup truck. That was followed by two more series, the 620 and the 720, which then led us to the Frontier series, of which there's three generations of that. We're now in our third generation. I've been with the company a number of years. and, and But not 62. Not, not quite 62. <laughs> right. No, not quite 62. Uh, but I have been part of the team working on, the planning teams, of working on the last three generations of Frontier. And a lot of the first that also come with it, not only we were first to market, we were the first with a crew cap, first with a six-foot bed on a mid-sized pickup truck. Uh, we started manufacturing in Smyrna, Tennessee many years ago in the 80s. And uh, yeah, we, we've just continuously have a mindset of innovation. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, the truck's been around for a while. 
It's been a while since we launched it, that's true, and maybe many people would say that. But in reality, a couple of things have happened. There's been a lot of developments within the industry, technologies and such, and we haven't stopped. We never stopped with the Frontier. We kept refining it year over year and found what was good, what worked, what didn't work. Learned a lot from uh, other products in our portfolio, whether they were all the way on the one end of being highly tech or um, vehicles, or they were commercial vehicles. We've had commercial vans, and we've learned from that. A lot of experience there. Well, and uh, the one thing the marketplace continued to tell you uh, with the Frontier was it continued to sell, so <laughs> the marketplace was really accepting of uh, the previous generation of Frontier. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, right? So no. it, it ran a long time. I mean, how many years uh, did that particular generation run? Well, the second generation ran from 2005 to, to today. So it basically was 17 model years. Again, there was a lot of refinement in there. But you're right. We had so many customers telling us, don't change anything. We had as many telling us, when is a new one coming? As they said, don't change anything. Just a reliable tool. And, you know, I do a lot of, of uh, public uh, events for Nissan, and there's a consistency. I see a lot of people with trucks come up to me and tell me about their, their Frontier. I got 300,000 miles on it. I'm still driving here. You need to see a picture of it, you know, and, and yeah, there's a lot of in, really enthusiastic people with it. Uh, and that enthusiasm is carried through for many, many years. And now it comes time to introduce a new one. Uh, and after that length of time, uh, maybe the burden is even higher, right? And the expectations are higher. Tell, tell me what it's like to replace a product that's been in the marketplace that long. It is. It is. Here's what you. Here's the key, though. You need to do your research. You need to go deep, deep, deep into the research. You need a strong team to develop it. We have a strong engineering team in Japan, Farmington Hills, Arizona test facility. You need a strong planning team to understand the customers fully. You need a great design team to come up with a design that customers want. I mean, really want. Just look at it, and I want it. And it takes all of this, but it comes from research. It comes from hours and hours of endless research. And that would be everything from what people would understand as a typical focus group to me standing in the parking lot of a four-wheel drive off-road shop talking to buyers about their cars and trucks. Which I bet you've done more than once, right? <laughs> <laughs> Many times. Maybe somebody's right. listening today wondering if I, <laughs> if I was that guy. Yeah, that guy, exactly. Why did he want to know so much? You have some pillars that you you know you really wanted this product to, to reach, right? You had some things to support this whole product plan uh, based on research. Tell our listeners about those things because I think it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, well, this, to start with, you can't build the perfect truck for everyone, but you have to understand what does the midsize pickup customer want? What do they do with the vehicle? And there's a few things that really echoed through. One of them was, first of all, it has to be rugged. It's a truck, but didn't need to be toy-like. needed to be rugged but not toy-like. So that's where the design, when you first see the vehicle, walk up to it, that's where it really comes into play. Also in the interior when you open up the door. What does that mean? What does that terminology mean? Then there's a rugged portion of it in actual use. So even if you just looked rugged and weren't, of course you're not <laughs> delivering upon right. that. And then you started to get into all the needs of around the customer. What do they expect the truck to deliver? How do they expect to deliver it? How utilitarian is it? It's a truck. It has a bed. But many customers use the bed differently. And in fact, 
the last generation, between the last generation and today, they're using it drastically different. Mm -hmm. Something as simple as how to carry mountain bikes in the back bed of your truck has changed over the years. And it continues to evolve. And if you keep in mind that we're keeping this product in the market for years to come, another five years, which is a typical Not life 17? cycle. Yeah. I don't think it'll be 17. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it won't guarantee you much. But uh, I'll give you, give you this thought. You have to also have the mindset of what's coming. Just don't launch a vehicle and expect it to be in the market. Market's constantly changing. You have to adapt and move. And I think that's even more so the case for a pickup truck, right, than it, is, it would be for a passenger car, maybe an SUV, that seem to change a little bit more more frequently. You know, you know this has got to have staying power. This, this basic platform is going to live for a long time. Absolutely. And you have to think of it in all the aspects of how you use your truck in the daily world. Look, midsize pickup customers, it's a seven-day-a-week ownership. It's not like they're just using it on the weekends. Might be off-roading on the weekends, and on Monday morning, you need to go downtown. How does that agility, when you have the vehicle, work both downtown in a parking structure that you've never been in before, you got to squeeze in that small space on the end, versus going off-road somewhere outskirts of Boulder, Colorado on the weekend? Yeah. Well, let's dive into the vehicle itself. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I took away from uh, your presentation this morning was the fact that the size, not only size matters, but getting bigger isn't necessarily better. What we see in a lot of segments that it's always bigger. There's more displacement. The vehicle gets longer. It gets, <laughs> you know, more interior space. That isn't necessarily a, a big winner for you here, right? I mean, you have to do work within a, a certain footprint. Talk a bit about that, would yeah, you? Yeah, the customer research, and I keep going back to this because so much time was spent uh, and we take it very seriously, of course. In the customer research, we heard over and over again, whatever you do, don't make it bigger. Don't make it too big. Because that mid-sized customer knows what they need to do with their, their vehicle. They want to be able to have the ability to get it in the garage. And that varies across the country. I heard everything from nightmares of hailstorms that you've got to quickly get your yeah, truck in the garage. Get it out of there, yeah. Yeah, to wanting to load up the night before you go hiking or mountain biking. Put it in your garage. Everything's locked and loaded. Saturday morning, boom, out the door and on the road. And then comes the agility in driving. As I talked about the scenes earlier, driving off-road is one scene. But mid-sized customers have to use it, and there's nothing worse, and I've experienced myself, than you suddenly having to go downtown for whatever reason, and now you've got to find a parking space. Give us the high hard ones on this truck. You know, the things you think the consumer should really know about the new Frontier versus the old one. First thing, design. Take a look at the design. The design should captivate a, a customer. Let's hold it up to the radio and people can <laughs> look at it. It really is a good-looking truck. It is, it is a rugged, good-looking truck, handsome. Uh, I think it checks all the boxes that you were trying to check with it. Second, the heart of it, the engine, the V6, the 3.8 liter, 310 horsepower, 281 pound-feet of torque engine. And we have one engine, and we focused. With that one engine, with a nine-speed transmission, and let's do it right. And we mated those together. And a lot of thought went into where it shifts, how it shifts, what conditions you'll be under. The ride itself. Ride and handling was extremely important to us. We can build you a tough vehicle that you can run as hard as you want in Baja, but if it beats you to death the other five days yeah. of the week, we haven't accomplished anything. If it knocks your fillings out, you're not going to be happy with exactly. it. Exactly. And so we really concentrated on that, adding the hydraulic dampers in the, in the frame mounts, the dynamic dampers in the steering wheel. It's all about the transmission 
of the road surface and vehicle as it comes through the body, the frame, and into you, into the engine, into the uh, owner's compartment, especially in the seat and the uh, steering wheel. Which, by the way, you're sitting in the zero gravity seat. Right. Which uh, I would like to see your impression of it four to eight hours from now. Yeah. It's well, I enjoyed it this morning, and I got into a competitive vehicle. You had a Toyota Tacoma here, and I immediately grasped that I didn't like the seats nearly as much. Now, I don't think you sabotaged the seats in the Tacoma. No, I, absolutely I would, not. I haven't. Certainly wouldn't think you would do that. These are just nice seats, and uh, I spent several hours. I didn't spend eight hours this morning driving it, but I spent several hours, and uh, the seat is extremely comfortable, and I anticipate it would be comfortable for a long period of time. Yeah, and that's absolutely what we had in mind. We weren't, we didn't want just a seat that felt good when you sat in it for, for a quick run over the Home Depot. We wanted a seat that felt good then and four to eight hours later, because we know what truck owners do on the weekends. They're not, you're not fly fishing uh, around the corner from your house very often, unless you happen to live in a very ideal place. Yes. And you're driving four hours more. We heard it over and over what customers would drive as they moved across the country. Well, and the test vehicles we had were four by fours, your top of the line vehicle, very off-road ready, a lot of uh, off-road equipment on it. And at the same time, we did an on-road drive that was lengthy and I felt good about it. I, I felt good about the handling. I felt good about the ride, quiet. You know, certainly the seats were comfortable. Even the cab isolation is good. So, I mean, those are things that you're all, uh, you're looking for, right? You're, you're trying to put out there that this is what this truck is, is offering to the uh, consumer. Oh, absolutely. And that's thousands of hours of engineering work to get the vehicle to that point. We, we on the Pro4X, we have Bill Stein's shocks. Thousands of hours spent getting the dampening right. How do we get this right to perform well off-road on the drive to the, to pick up some, um, the Home Depot, but also on the drive to, to the grocery store, right? Right, Hot and then off-road. I mean, it was interesting to me, and I've been on many of these things <laughs> that we're on, where a vehicle is being showed off to us, where you would drive to a place, get out of the vehicle that you drove on the road, and get into a different vehicle, and then drive it off-road. That isn't how this one worked. I mean, I'm we're sitting in the vehicle that I have driven all day long, and drove on the off-road course, which was a pretty challenging off-road course. It maybe ate a few tires and <laughs> this and that. I think that was impressive. Basically, box stock, off I go, up the, uh, up the mountain. T tell me how you're able to put all that together. That, that goes through, it came from research, first of all. And as I, as I talked about, you, the owner will have this for that seven-day-a-week period for a number of years. And they'll experience all those differences. Where it stems from is a very passionate team of engineers. All vehicles have a lot of passion in them, but it's nothing like when you do something like the truck. Remember, 62 years we've had this vehicle in our portfolio. It has deep, deep roots within Nissan. And the, the engineers, or truck, the engineers, the guys and girls that work on this, they also drive trucks. That's not, this isn't phony here. They are all driving trucks also. And we're all critical. We all know what we want, what we need. But we put that on the side. We put it absolutely on the side and we focus on the customer. How is the customer using this? From one coast to the other, from the north to the south, how are they using this vehicle? And then we start to make decisions. As we said before, we could go really stiff and make something great at high speed, rough road, rough off-road uh, conditions, but then it would beat you up. So where do you get it? How do you get the dampening right? How do you isolate the body right? How do you get the wind noise right? in the vehicle. And it's a series of decisions. I mean, incredible amounts of decisions and over a long period of time. G give our listeners a, 
a sense of how long this truck has been in development? Oh, a general vehicle is in development a good four to five years. There's a lot of planning that's done up front and a lot of research, and then you'd start to jump into the vehicle. A lot of times you actually start planning the next vehicle while the first one's being launched. Being launched, yeah, absolutely true. What do you think the consumer should take away from the new vehicle? You know, what do you want them to know about this vehicle as it, as it comes to market uh, a little later this year? I think what's most key and what's most important for them to understand is we listened. We listened to the customer. And we created a truck based on our research, which met the heart of the midsize pickup customer market. Wouldn't walk past it. Before you buy a midsize truck, I highly recommend get behind the wheel. Absolutely. And you're going to see this on TV, and you're going to like what you see. And then when you get behind the wheel, I'm sure you're going to like what you, you feel behind the wheel as well. So, Randy Dale, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate all your insights onto this great truck. Jack, thanks for having me anytime. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Now it is listener question time, Chris, and I know how you love this portion of the program. <laughs> and here is the listener question. It's from Lucille in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Why do so many more people buy SUVs when minivans are less expensive, more versatile, and ride better? What is your answer, Chris? I'm going to have to give a psychology lesson, Jack. I think we're going to step outside of my expertise. No, I'm joking. But uh, it, psychology and, and wants do play a need in, uh, do play a role in this over needs. I think so. I think a lot of people feel that they're safer because they're in a larger vehicle, uh, whether that's true or not. There's some very safe small vehicles with plenty of, of uh, safety equipment. Uh, people like to sit up high and see the road. I think that's part of it as well. And then I think a part of it, as I mentioned earlier, is psychology. People, especially Americans love their cars, they love styling. Automakers are putting a lot of effort into their styling and their SUVs and putting all the features in there right now. Uh, and they're an, especially, they're an extremely desirable uh, segment of vehicles, whether people actually put them to use as a utility vehicle off-road or hauling and towing. Um, that's you know probably hit or miss, especially for uh, some brands over others. But I think the perception of being able to do that is just as important as actually being able to do it. Yeah, I think I'm going to cut to the chase here and, and just say that SUVs are cooler than minivans, right? I mean, at least a lot of people picture them that way. And I think that's why they sell better than minivans. And uh, I guess that's our show for this week. We like to end on a listener question, hoping we're helping people out. And Chris, you always help me by co-hosting the show. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jack, for having me. Thanks, everybody, for joining us again on our uh, SportsMap Radio second week on the air here. And I hope we're able to uh, keep you along for the ride for the next time. Absolutely. And, of course, we're also available as a podcast, so look for the America on the Road podcast. Thanks to Mercury Insurance for being our sponsor. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. We really do appreciate that. So join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car, get all the automotive information you need from DrivingToday.com. That's DrivingToday.com, the official website of America on the road.